Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Whoa, I'm late today, y'all. It is 10.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is August the 19th, a Monday. Another Monday. God, another freaking Monday. This is episode 128 of Bitcoin and, and let's start with Bitcoin or the at Bitcoin Twitter account. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm waking up to weird. I woke up to a whole bunch of stuff blowing up on my Twitter account about uh, the uh, at Bitcoin Twitter account, which was... a couple of, I don't know, I think it was a, it's been over a year at least. It may even be getting on into two years since that account was taken over. Now we don't know exactly who took it over, but the suspicion is, is that Roger Ver bought that account from the original holder of the, the, uh, at Bitcoin, uh, Twitter account. And ever since that account has basically been posting trash about, uh, <laughs> trashing Bitcoin itself, which is beyond hilarious and advocating for the use of uh, Bcash, 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 Bcash. And no, no, it's like none of us bought it. I mean, none of us, none of the, you know, the, the, the true guys in, in the space, even remotely, you know, we, we saw through it. It was pretty, it was pretty heinous. And yeah, yeah. The, the problem is, is that it has so many followers and new people are coming into the space all the time. Okay, that's that's something that I, I don't think we think about that enough, that new people are coming into this space all of the time and they're complete noobs. They're complete. It's OK to be a noob. It's not a bad word. It's just hell. Anything you do for the first time, you're you're a noob. I mean, welcome to noobness. So it's sort of incumbent upon people who know better to make sure that these people don't get scammed. So what's going on with the app Bitcoin thing? Well, it started deleting all of its tweets pertaining to Bcash, except for the pin tweet that, as far as I know, is as of this morning, it was their pin tweet about using that BCH or whatever was the actual Bitcoin, whatever nonsense that's, that's been pinned to the top for months is still there. But crypto deleted tweets, and if you're not, that's a, a Twitter account that you should be you should be following or, or at least have it listed on, on your, your uh, whatever, if you're using list and you, it's lists are very, very helpful to curate your feed. Otherwise you end up with just a, a, a fire hose of ads and stuff that you're just not, maybe you were interested in it a long time ago and you just don't care. Like my main feed right now would be littered with uh, political bullshit. And I left that so long ago I, if I even look at my actual general feed, it's just a it's just a mess. So use lists. All right. So crypto underscore deleted underscore tweets. That's what you're looking for. Um, 
I've got two. I've got a screenshot up here, and it's got a couple. But the one that you know, I'll just read one. It says Bitcoin deleted after five months. Link in the original tweet. And then there's a screenshot of the tweet that was deleted. And this one says, now remember, this was deleted after five months. That's a long time to go back and have to, and start scrubbing your timeline, deleting tweets. And I just feel bad for whoever has to do this. The tweet says, are you interested in thwarting chain analysis software and making your Bitcoin transactions more anonymous? Come learn more about Cash Shuffle and even try it out yourself. Cashshuffle.com. Another one says something about, uh, oh yeah, me points out the very real problems with BTC's intentionally crippled scaling. Maximalists, Lightning Network solves all these problems. Me points out that the very real problem with you know, and it's basically trashing both Bitcoin and Lightning at the same time. That was deleted after five months of being on here. It looks like. All of them have either been deleted or are getting deleted as we speak. So we have, there's conjecture that this is the new CEO, uh, Stephen Rust, I believe is his name, at uh, making changes. I don't know if this is going to be like them trying to pivot back to Bitcoin. I kind of don't think so, considering how big of a hole they've dug themselves. But uh, somebody's made a decision to wipe all this stuff clean and which is a good thing because it's, it was, in my opinion, a potential lot, you know, it's a potential liability when you're um, leading noobs, like we were talking about earlier into, you know, noobs are coming into space. And if they see this garbage, they actually think it's Bcash is the actual Bitcoin and it's not, it's, it's, it's a fork. So there's, there's that there. There, so that was me waking up to weirdness. I never thought in a million years I'd ever see that one. All right, now, toxicity. Okay, trigger warning, y'all. Toxic maximalist Udi Wertheimer is, is, is on fire today. Or, yeah, actually, it was uh, yesterday. But I woke up to this one today, too. So for me, it's today. He's got a tweet thread here that is not too long, and I'm going to read it to you now. It's time for the ETH gang to wake up, smell the ashes, and take some responsibility. Their 2017 blockchain everything narrative failed miserably and cost retail investors billions, dumped into scams supported by ETH naivete. We're toxic? How dare you? Where's your post-mortem? Man, I'm telling you, man, Udi, when he gets, that boy, he gets wound up. He gets wound up. Continuing, pretty much each and every one of those still around in ETH spilling their toxic venom on Twitter about how terrible Bitcoiners are are being funded by blood money from ICOs, not even hiding it. It's proudly on their bios. Investors lost everything to fund nothing but hate. How can journalists give these people the moral high ground? Are you that naive? It's been two years. Where's the apology? Bitcoin has largely been vindicated by the markets. ETH-based ICOs are gone forever. Why are you even listening to these people at all? Just the nerve of these people. It's fucking unbelievable. I'm not going to name names because it's not that type of thread. Just do yourself a favor and note the affiliation of the offended ETH people and check CoinMarketCap for how much value they destroyed personally. And that's discounting the value destroyed by the much more obvious scammers who already left 
and were enabled by the bullshit spread by the gang that's still around. That's even worse. Bitcoiners are protective exactly so that you can fend off the fraudsters that you embraced. All right. Udi fighting for the toxic maximalists here. And good, good. I'm going to be unapologetic about it. The noobs that are coming into the space and judging from the amount of followers that I've gotten over the weekend, and I'm not tooting my horn here. I'm just saying that something's up. Uh, for whatever reason, people are starting to follow me, but all of their accounts are like, you know, began in March of this year, maybe last year. Most of them were actually started in July and August, you know, and they've got 10 followers, 33 followers, you know, all sub three digits. So I know noobs are pouring into the space and I just, I can't let it go. If, if people are going to steer them to shit coinery, then they're going to get freaking wrecked. Okay. So the, the whole toxic maximalism thing is kind of getting a little old insofar as the way that it's viewed. People are trying to defend people from what we knew was going to happen to these, to these people, you know, the, the people that got wrecked and wait for the daily train wrecked, because if you haven't seen this tweet, you're going to love today's daily train train wrecked, but it's, it's a protection. You got to protect these people. Otherwise, this space will just implode on itself. You cannot let people go to scams. Okay, that's the final word on that. But we have another scamster on the way. And this is the new website that was apparently just put up, I don't know, a couple of days ago. Satoshi Nakamoto, my reveal. Now, this is at, I won't... I'm not even going to give the uh, uh, website name because it's an unsecured website. That's right. There's no certificates there that I can see. It's like it's like I'm getting you know uh, I, I get warnings as to oh dude this is not a secure website and come on really so I'm I'll, I'll read the header of this the truth. Please join me as I end my anonymity in a three part daily series. He didn't even get that right. My reveal that begins today, August 18th, the 11th anniversary of my registration of the domain name Bitcoin.org. In my reveal, I will divulge such previously unknown facts such as the origin of my iconic pseudonym, the status of my 980,000 Bitcoins, and my real-life identity. I'll also introduce Tabula Rasa, my clean slate vision for the future of Bitcoin. Yeah, Tabula Rasa. Anybody remember that game? It was a video game put out by Richard Garriott, and it was a complete and utter failure, which is too bad because I played it. I actually kind of liked it, but nobody else did. So they shut the servers down after, like, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars of development, and then the deployment. Ugh, tabula Rasa. Yeah, might want to take uh, take a, some time and look that up. Okay, so in either event, this guy has actually released, like, part one yeah, and it's just, it's, guys, this is terrible. Uh, oh, it's the, the one of the most, the one of the most cringeworthy ones was the uh, origin where he gives the origin of the name, how, or where he says how Bitcoin got its name. So I'll just read you this part. The origins of the word Bitcoin were derived not just from the IT terminology of bit, but because I was obsessed with bringing back the BCCI name to its glory days while structuring the unnamed 
digitized or a decentralized digital currency. I was looking at the name Bank of Credit and Commerce International. That's the BCCI. And the light bulb moment came where letters were calling me to pick the name. The letters were Bank of Credit Commercial International. And in that, when he does that, he has B I T C O I N in in bold letters and 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 uppercase. So he's saying that he got the name Bitcoin from the Bank of Credit and Commercial Commerce International. That's the kind of cringeworthy shit you're gonna see in this website, but don't go. I've I, I, I've taken the hit of putting up a, a click for this idiot. You know, you don't have to do the same. It's all just another, it's just, and you know, I get the feeling, I really do. I get the feeling that this is never going to end. It's never going to end because there are so many people out there that will just throw money at anything they see that I, I, I think this is just going to be like a new type of, Oh God, what I'm trying to say, a new type of thing. But that's it for uh, community news. Let's get into the roundup. Um, Malta Crypto Exchange opened by Coin One to close next month. Oh, this is by Richard Mayer writing for CoinDesk as of this morning. CJX, a Malta-based exchange opened by South Korea, Korea's Coin One less than a year ago, is shutting down. The exchange posted an announcement last week saying that all services would be terminated on September the 18th. God, they didn't really, my God, these people do not give anybody any time. After that date, customers will no longer be able to log in and deposits and withdrawals will no longer be possible. Exit scam. CJX added that all records would be destroyed other than those that have been retained by law. (sighs) Two months earlier, the exchange had announced a temporary suspension effective July the 17th. In that post, the company said that trading would be halted, deposits could no longer be made, active orders would be canceled, and the API keys would be disabled. Withdrawal services were still to be were still to be available, and the exchange advised customers to withdraw their holdings in order to prevent potential losses. The announcement assured customers that the suspension was not a permanent end to the service and said the exchange would be relaunching in the third quarter. CJX opened on October the 28th, 2018. The Malta-based exchange was to offer only crypto-to-crypto trading, but it would be integrating with CoinOne's operations in South Korea as well as those in Indonesia, where CoinOne started an operation earlier in 2018. Local press at the time said that the overseas expansion by CoinOne was related to the government's crackdown on crypto and its regulation of exchanges. Other South Korean exchanges also established presences overseas with BitHum, uh, sorry, BitThumb opening BitThumb decks in Hong Kong and UpBit expanding in Singapore. CoinOne is the third largest exchange in South Korea and the 84th in the world reported by volume. According to the data from CoinMarketCap, in recent weeks, it has taken a number of steps to improve security. The exchange announced listing rules on August the 8th and said earlier that it hired Certic to undertake a security validation. So shit moved really fast for these guys. Um, <laughs> I mean... Uh, it like, you know, uh, they announced listing rules on August the 8th and here we are 11 days later and they're already closed. They're done. They're done. So don't keep your shit on exchanges. 
and tell the noobs, don't keep your coins on exchanges because this kind of thing will happen to you. And unless you were actively trading and you had it on this exchange, you had one week, one week, maybe to get it off. And, you know, if maybe you went backpacking, maybe you went on a boat. Bitcoiners don't do that. Um, Maybe, I don't know, maybe you were just somewhere else weren't by your computer, didn't hear the news, wasn't attached to your Twitter feed, log into this thing and you're hosed. So not your coins, not your keys, not your coins. Coinbase reveals password glitch affecting 3,500 customers. Good, good job there, Brian. Excellent work, pal. Coindesk's Nicholas Day is writing this August the 16th. Crypto exchange Coinbase disclosed a potential vulnerability Friday, announcing that a tiny fraction of its customers' passwords were stored in plain text on an internal server log. However, the information was not improperly accessed by outside parties, the exchange said. In a postmortem shared with Coindesk, Coinbase outlined a password storage issue impacting less than 3,500 customers that briefly re- briefly resulted in personal information, including the passwords, being stored in clear text on internal logging systems. Quote, under a very specific and rare error condition, the registration form on our sign-up page wouldn't load correctly, which meant that any attempt to create a new Coinbase account under those conditions would fail, the post explained. Quote, unfortunately, it also meant that the individual's name, email address, and proposed password and state of residence, if in the United States, would be sent to our internal logs. In uh, 3,420 instances, the potential customers used the same password in their second sign-up attempt, which would be successful, but would result in their having a password that matches the hashed version on the company's logs. Those customers were notified by Coinbase via email on Friday. Quote, any user attempting to register needs to have JavaScript enabled and needs to have that JavaScript load correctly. Oh, good Lord, y'all. I mean, <laughs> anyway, that's that's all you really need to know about that. It's just, it's just Coinbase being Coinbase. They're not, They. I don't really think they care about your data. Uh, the, I mean, these kinds of mistakes, while, you know, they, yes, they are made, but come on, man. I mean, y'all need to be better. But it's Coinbase, so they're never going to be better. Oh, okay, the backed news. Now, everybody's already heard about this, but let's see what Colin Post has to say about it in the Cointelegraph piece uh, from August 16th. Backed announces September 23rd launch of futures and custody platforms in the United States. Backed has announced the coming launch of its much appreciate or anticipated platform for daily and monthly futures in the United States in a blog post on August 16th. Having received approval from the necessary regulators, the launch is scheduled for September the 23rd. Back's physically delivered futures have been the subject of a great deal of anticipation with the company initially announcing its launch August of 2018 before being subject to repeated delays over compliance issues. Satisfying the Commodity Futures Trading Commission has proven particularly challenging. The company began testing in earnest on July 22nd, as Cointelegraph reported at the time. 
Per the announcement, BACT has hosted numerous events in New York and Chicago, cities critical to the U.S. futures market. They have also sat down with regulators from the CFTC as well as the Securities and Exchange Commission. BACT will be partnering with Intercontinental Exchange Futures U.S. and Intercontinental Exchange Clear U.S. to provide its futures contracts. Institutional services and custody have been a growing market in crypto with major U.S. exchange Coinbase announcing the addition of Zappos Institution into its custodial operation last night. After the announcement, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong commented on the major rise in institutional clients for crypto services, saying, quote, whether institutions were going to adopt crypto or not was an open question about 12 months ago. I think it's safe to say we now know the answer. We're seeing 200 to $400 million a week in new crypto deposits come in from institutional customers. So, I don't think anything can destroy Coinbase, not even their own buffoonery. But it's good news that, I, I mean, I guess it's, I'm going to go ahead and call it as being good news. You know, you need adoption. This gives adoption. It it puts it, you know, in, into a, a situation where 401ks can kind of take bites out of it. Um, so that's good. I was having a discussion on Twitter with somebody with somebody about that, and I can't remember who, and I feel bad for that because it was an, he had some interesting really interesting insights into it. But, uh, that was his, I think it was, he was replying. It was a snark reply to somebody who, who did a tweet that was like not looking at this favorably. And his position was, look, man, I got like, you know, X amount of dollars sitting in a 401 K and I can't do dick with crypto in it unless this launches. So it looks like you got your wish, bro. looks like you got your wish. Uh, also, Cointelegraph's Adrian Zmaninsky. I'm going to try this one. Smudzinski. Smudzinski. I think that's it. Okay. World Bank raises $33 million via blockchain for its, wait for it, kangaroo bond. Ugh. This was this morning. The World Bank announced on August 16th, this was written this morning, but the announcement was on August 16th. The World Bank announced on August 16th that it raised an additional 50 million over 33 million for its kangaroo bond due August 2020 using a blockchain. You don't probably need a blockchain. The bank claims that this is the first bond which has been created, allocated, transferred, and managed through its lifecycle using distributed ledger technology. Per the report, the initiative expands the World Bank's Bond I, that's Bond hyphen I, blockchain platform, combining three joint lead managers, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, RBC Capital Markets, and TD Securities. The initiative has seen the participation of new market participants, including an offshore investor and the existing investor community, including ongoing support and input from T-Corp. CBA was mandated by the World Bank as an arranger for the bond in August of last year, which resulted in the raising of $110 million Australian dollars, over $74 million U.S., in May, CBA and the World Bank enabled on-chain secondary bond trading with TD acting as a market maker. The latter development reportedly made this the first bond whose issuance are traded on records using DLT. That's the distributed ledger technology jargon. Uh, James Wall, Executive General Manager International at CBA, commented on the development, quote, The TAP is an important milestone in demonstrating the full lifecycle management of an issuer's capital markets needs. It is also a significant step for the platform, bringing on additional participants and demonstrating the broader potential of Bond I 
as a capital markets platform, end quote. The bond platform reportedly employed reportedly allows for faster, more efficient, and more secure transactions. It is part of a broader initiative aiming for applying DLT by the World Bank. As Cointelegraph reported in April, at the time, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank jointly launched a private blockchain and a so-dubbed quasi-cryptocurrency. And this is all just hand-waving, I think. Um, You don't really need any of this to do what they're doing. I don't, I don't believe so. I mean, maybe you do, but kangaroo bond. Are you serious? The kangaroo, the kangaroo bond. I used to watch Captain Kangaroo when I was a kid, man, lovely animals. Too bad you destroyed it. All right. Ethereum coders approved six changes for the upcoming Istanbul hard fork, which will probably be three months away. This is uh, Christine Kim on August the 16th, writing for Coindesk. Ethereum core developers finalized late Thursday a list of six different code changes to be activated for Ethereum's next system-wide upgrade, Iston Bullshit. As agreed in prior meetings, Istanbul will be executed in two parts. The first, which will feature all six code changes, or Ethereum improvement proposals, is tentatively expected to execute on Ethereum mainnet this October. So it's October, September, October, November, December. So yeah, three months out will be uh, December to January. Okay, anyway. Um, the second, which is scheduled for mainnet activation sometime in the first quarter of next year, will feature EIPs requiring further testing and deliberation from core developers. Those include a proposed mining algorithm change called PROG POW. Speaking of the two-part structure of the Istanbul upgrade, core developer Peter, and there's no way I can pronounce his last name, said on Thursday's call, quote, we split Istanbul into two. One of them can actually ship within weeks. The other contains two really big EIPs, EIPs that would be nice to have, but require some stuff that cannot be done within the two or three week time span. Istanbul part one will be the eighth hard fork to be activated on the $22 billion blockchain network. It is expected to boost chain interoperability with privacy coin Zcash and help secure the broader network against replay attacks, among other efficiency improvements. Developers behind major Ethereum clients such as Geth and Parity now have exactly one week to integrate the newly affirmed list of six EIPs into their software and prepare to implement the full code on a live Ethereum test network. While the original target date for Istanbul's testnet activation on Ethereum testnet Ropsten was this Wednesday, August the 4th, Peter noted during Thursday's call that the target needed to be pushed back two weeks in order to give developers time to finalize the list of EIPs going into Istanbul Part 1. Because that list was just now has just now been agreed, agreed upon by core developers, Peter said a hard fork activation date on Ropstein for Wednesday, September the 4th, may have to be reconsidered and pushed back once more. Quote, with previous hard forks after everybody implemented to their clients, we had literally months of testing before rolling it out, out before rolling it out to the test net. Now we just came up with a final list of VIPs and we want to fork in two weeks. That's a bit brave. Peter said on the call. Other core developers agreed with this sentiment and decided that a targeted test net activation date at a to be determined block number would have to wait until next week's meeting. Testnet activation for Ist- on, of Istanbul Part 1 will be the last major milestone before mainnet activation. As with any hard fork, Ethereum miners must upgrade simultaneously to the latest software or risk causing a chain split in the network. Speaking 
to the importance of a testnet release for hard fork upgrades, Ethereum Foundation Community Manager Hudson Jameson said, quote, the security and stability of the network are primary concerns when it comes to doing hard forks on mainnet, so the testnet release is a vital step in making sure that mainnet release goes smoothly, end quote. As such, Jameson affirmed that while delayed, a testnet activation of Istanbul Part 1 is something all Ethereum core developers want to see happen soon. Quote, Ethereum core developers are excited to get the Ropsten network or testnet hard fork going to make sure that everything's working correctly, end quote, said Jameson. So, I don't know, man. Kind of sounds like they don't have their shit together, and that would that would scare me to death. If I, if I actually held any ETH, um, I, I'd be really, really worried about this kind of thing because it's just like, well, how long are you going to push this stuff back? You know, this is where the joke comes from. Everything's always three months away for Ethereum. It's always three months away. Uh, yeah, whatever. <sighs> Gird your loins on that one if you're if you're holding the bag of ETH. Uh, William Suberg is writing for Coin Telegraph. China central bank crypto can cannibalize Alipay. WeChat Pay says analyst. This is yeah William Suberg. When he was oh yeah this was this morning. China's answer to Facebook's Libra digital currency could help the central bank attract business away from Alipay and WeChat Pay. Speaking to mainstream media outlet the South China Morning Post on August 19th, Cindy Wang, an analyst at DBS Group Research, said Beijing could profit from the appeal of its state-issued digital currency to merchants. According to Wang, the two payment giants, Alipay and WeChat Pay, account for nine out of every 10 transactions in China. In addition, the digital currency could help limit capital outflows. Quote, currently banks are under pressure to retain their deposit base because with the money market funds distributed by third-party payment Third-party payment providers like Alipay and Tencent, some of the idle money held in mobile payment accounts are leaked out of the banking system into the hands of fund managers, end quote. As Cointelegraph reported, China's hurried digital token is reportedly ready for issuance, though it can't be called a bona fide cryptocurrency. Under the auspices of its central bank, the People's Bank of China, preparations accelerated in the wake of Libra, which authorities identified as a potential threat. Revealing further details last week, Mu Cheng Chun, PBOC deputy director, underscored the payments method would not seek to compete with the yuan nor take over any of its existing functions. It can use existing resources to support and develop commercial banks and smoothly promote digital currency. Yeah, I know you guys want to promote digital currency just because you want a cashless society. And we're going to end up with a cashless society, but what cash are you going to hold? I, I, I would stay as far away from central bank cash as I possibly could. I, I really would. These people have, have shown time and again that they are not to be trusted. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Daniel Palmer's writing this morning for Coindesk. Uh, crypto exchange Binance announces a new stablecoin initiative. Yeah, you knew. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Binance has announced that it's launching a project that will develop cryptocurrencies and digital assets pegged to fiat currencies around the world, dubbed Venus. The localized stablecoin initiative will see the firm utilize its existing infrastructure, such as its public blockchain, Binance chain, and international payment system, quote, to empower developed and developing countries to spur new currencies, end quote. Binance said it's seeking to create new partnerships with governments, enterprises, and cryptocurrency and blockchain firms to assist the effort. 
The exchange stated in its Monday announcement that it will provide full process technical support, compliance risk control systems, and a multidimensional cooperation network to build Venus, end quote, adding, quote, Binance welcomes additional government partners, companies and organizations with a strong interest and influence on a global scale to collaborate with us to build a new open alliance and sustainable community, end quote. The exchange has previously launched two stable coins, BTCP or BTCB pegged to Bitcoin and BGBP pegged to the British pound on Binance chain. It also listed the USDC dollar backed cryptocurrency back in November. In a statement to Coindesk, Binance co-founder Yihi addressed the new project saying, quote, we believe that in the near and long term, stable coins will progressively replace traditional fiat currencies in countries around the world and bring a new and balanced standard of the digital economy. We hope to achieve a vision that is to reshape the world financial system, allow countries to have more tangible financial services and infrastructures, protect their financial security, and increase the economic efficiency of countries. Okay, that's that's the end of that one. Um, it's not that I don't, it's not like, I don't know. I got, I think I got over my fear of tether. But what I'm starting to wonder about now is is just this shit coinery in stable coins. I mean, how many do you need? I mean, it's just I and and yes, I mean, I I think that I'm I'm kind of thinking that there may be a battle between stable coins going forward and uh, central bank digital currencies like the one that we were just talking about with China. Um, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, or even if it comes to fruition. But if it does, it's probably going to be pretty ugly insofar that that may be a wedge that regulators really go or a crack in the armor um, of uh, exchanges like Binance and a whole bunch of the cryptocurrency stuff uh, because they out of somehow somehow or another, it just seems there seems something a little weak about it. And I don't I can't put my finger on why, but there's something about this stablecoin mania that. I can just see, for some reason, I just see people over, regulators behind their desk going, oh, good, oh, good, we got you now, buddy. But that all remains to be seen. Uh, We're going to have to see how that one shakes out. Okay, Uh, yeah, Marie Hulet. I'm pretty sure that's the way you pronounce her name. It's it's a hard one, H-U-I-L-L-E-T, is writing for Cointelegraph this morning. Vitalik Buterin talks scalability, quote, Ethereum blockchain is almost full. Is almost full. Okay, keep that in mind. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin says the Ethereum blockchain is almost full. In an interview with The Star, published August 19th, he said the hurdle that faces big organizations interested in the Ethereum ecosystem is the still thorny matter of the blockchain scalability. Buterin's stark comments were made as part of a discussion of what he perceives to be the biggest roadblocks to the widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies. He conceded that, quote, scalability is a big bottleneck because the Ethereum blockchain is almost full. If you're a bigger organization, the calculus is that if we join it, it will not be it will not only be more full, but we will be competing with everyone for transaction space. Mm-hmm. That's what develops value, although not on Ethereum because Ethereum sucks. It's already expensive and it will be even five times more expensive because of us. There is pressure keeping people from joining, end quote. Man, dude, 
Continuing, as for how to improve the situation, Buterin said that networks need to evolve away from the idea that every computer is required to verify each and every transaction to a model whereby a computer on average verifies only a small portion of the transactions on the blockchain. The improved scalability this would provide would bring costs down by a factor of over 100, he claimed. And while security is to some extent sacrificed by such a move, the compromise would be fairly modest in his words. Bitcoin scalability improvements and other technical advances, Buterin noted that the challenge remains in terms of transforming blockchain technology into something people will actually use. In recent comments, Buterin has argued that the future of crypto is pluralist Uh and revealed his openness to hybrid solutions that involve both Ether and Bitcoin. The co-founder clarified his stance in response to a proposal to implement the Bitcoin Lightning Network as an interface for Ethereum contracts to enable instant payments in Bitcoin while simultaneously triggering a series of events on Ethereum or any other chain. In July, Buterin had proposed using the Bcash blockchain as a temporary scalability solution for the Ethereum network. And that's it for the uh, the article. And yeah, I'm face palming really hard right now. It's like they can't get any of their shit together. Hell, they can't they they can't roll out upgrades. The blockchain's almost full. He's pivoting there the, I've have seen over the weekend a whole bunch of talk about how Ethereum is going to eat Bitcoin and all Bitcoin transactions are going to end up on the Ethereum blockchain. That narrative is bullshit, guys. Stop it. It's that's not going to happen. It uh, just stop. Seriously. Okay, I can't read this whole thing. This is a Bloomberg and I do not have an account for Bloomberg. So, but here here's the the gist. Okay, this is by Moses Mozart Zawu, writing uh, yesterday for Bloomberg, he says, the headline is, $1.6 billion horror as Ghana investors can't get their savings. And it basically, the story, I was able to read it on my phone because it's got a different IP address and apparently I haven't used up all my my freebies from Bloomberg on that one. Uh, but it, essentially, it's telling these stories that these people cannot get their their savings. It's just, it's horrible. You know, it's, how would you like to save, you know, all your money for like 40 years and then decide that you want to leave Ghana or, or invest in a business and go there thinking that you have this money and they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, and this is apparently, this is collateral damage from this cleanup of Ghana's banking industry. Uh, apparently they've made, um, it looks like, they reduced the number of lenders by a third and saw the closure of 23 savings and loans companies. I mean, just your money's just gone. So it's like you can't trust anybody at this point, you know, or any institution, anything. It's like it's nobody's worthy of trust anymore because they're just, I don't know how the world got here. I really don't. It's just, it's amazing to watch, but you know, it, it is what it is. Bitcoin simply existing positively impacts monetary policy, research says. This is, again, from Marie Juliet, writing for Cointelegraph. This is this morning. The existence of private decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin has a healthy impact on government's fiscal and regulatory policy, a new analysis contends. The argument was put forth in a paper published on August the 16th by Max Raskin, New York University School of Law of... Fahed Salah, 
McGill University and David Yermak, NYU Stern College of Business, entitled How Do Private Digital Currencies Affect Government Policy? The analysis notes that as regards the global financial system, the question of cryptocurrency's influence is not confined to whether or not the majority of the population opts to use them. Rather, the, argue, the authors argue that cryptocurrency's very existence has a counterfactual impact on that they function as a check on both fiscal and regulatory policy. While cryptocurrencies may not have replaced the dollar, they have three important positive areas of impact on the existing monetary systems the authors note. First, Citizens secure welfare gains from the existence of cryptocurrencies because they offer diversification. Moreover, private digital currencies serve as competition for local investment and thus restrain monetary policy, thereby generating lower inflation. Second, the authors argue that cryptocurrencies encourage local investment and serve as a complement, not as a substitute, for that investment. In offering an alternative to local fiat, they discipline monetary policy, again reducing inflation, leading to higher returns from investment, and thus more investment overall. Third, the government itself gains from permitting the use of cryptocurrencies within the local economy, given that it extracts revenue through tra- taxation and thus benefits from the higher levels of local investment. Examining two major national fiat currency crises that have erupted since the financial crisis, the Turkish lira and the Argentine peso, the authors further argue that, quote, a private digital currency has significant implications for a corrupt emerging market. We define a corrupt emerging market as an economy with high volatility and a government that sets policy based on selfish interest rather than considering the welfare of citizens. Well, that would be probably all of them (laughs) by that definition. As Cointelegraph had previously reported, 20% of the Turkish population was reported to hold cryptocurrencies as of summer 2019. Last week, the peso plunged 30%. Bitcoin was trading in Argentina at a 4% premium. Not only do cryptocurrencies influence the incumbent system, but macroeconomic factors feed back into the crypto sector. Recently, the head of a global finance or the the head of global oh oh, wow almost sneezed sorry guys the head of global fundamental credit strategy at Deutsche Bank noted that central banks' dovish policies are positively impacting alternative currencies such as Bitcoin, a view that has been echoed by many. Yeah, I'm not sure about some of these some of these points in here. Um, you know, this does kind of echo arguments about the, um, like if, um, Bitcoin could scare the piss out of the United States government so bad that it goes back to a a gold backed currency to, to, uh, maintain dominance. And, you know, this, this kind of speaks to that. That's a little bit of an extreme case, but this, you know, that's what they're kind of talking a little bit about here. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the chances of of cryptocurrencies really helping governments not be so dickheaded, I think is actually kind of low. I, I think they're kind of the way that we've let things run um, has just enabled <laughs> enabled governments across the, the world to just squeeze their citizenry. I, I don't know why you'd want to. I mean, I mean, I guess you know, $100 cigars and $500 haircuts are, are, you know, nice, but you think you'd get bored after a while doing that. And then just looking out over the, the, the cesspool that you've created, you know, just, it just does not, 
absolutely does not sound really thrilling at all. Okay, now for a twist. Minecraft with ray tracing looks so good, I actually want to play it. There's no way I can pronounce this gentleman's name. This is five hours ago at thenextweb.com. <clears throat> Despite its immense popularity, I've never really cared for Minecraft, mostly because I'm not keen on crafting games, but also because I'm not into the low-fidelity art style that it's all large pixels and flat colors. But now that Microsoft is teaming up with NVIDIA to harness ray tracing tech and vastly improve the look of the game on Windows, I might just give it a go. If you've got an NVIDIA 2060, 2070, or 2080 card uh, let's see, uh, in your PC, or even an RTX-enabled GPU in your laptop, you'll soon be able to enjoy a more realistic-looking Minecraft, complete with dynamic lighting and shadows rendered in real time. You can also expect specular highlights, reflections, and adept- additional depth and detail across the board. Hit play on the video above to get a taste, and of course they do include a video. It's welcome news, especially for fans of the game who were bummed to hear last week that Minecraft Super Duper Graphics Pack, which was announced at E3 back in 2017 and promised a major upgrade to how the game looks, was canceled owing to technical challenges. The new ray tracing treatment will become available in a future update. Microsoft hasn't announced a release date for it. Why the hell am I reading this? Because Minecraft, I I totally understand this dude. My kids are addicted to freaking Minecraft. And I've kind of played it a couple of times, but it's just, eh, it's just looking at it. I'm like, eh. but the video on this makes Minecraft look freaking awesome. And if you're a gamer, you know, especially if you, if, especially if you like Minecraft itself, you, you're going to go want to go check out rate, like just Google ray tracing in Minecraft. You'll, you'll get to the article or, or some semblance thereof and see this. And it's, it, is absolutely spectacular. And I am also, you know, I'm talking about it because, um, for 10 years I was in gaming and like at, at the university level. Okay. Like at the library level, I was sort of, you know, the administrator of the three, well, I was, I was the, the administrator of the 3d animation lab. So for 10 years, I ate gaming. I, I slept gaming and I breathed like 3d animation and rendering and, graphics cards and ray tracing and I mean modeling and all that stuff. When I saw this, I was so blown away because this is the first time that Minecraft even looks remotely interesting at all. Okay. Back to stupid chicanery in the Bitcoin world. There's your little Bitcoin break for you. <clears throat> uh, Coindesk's Daniel Kuhn is writing oh, this morning that the youngest Bitcoin millionaire is willing to stake it all on metal pay. God. Metallicus, the startup behind the peer-to-peer payments platform metal pay received an undisclosed angel investment from the youngest Bitcoin millionaire, Eric Finman. In partnership with MetalPay CEO Marshall Hayner, the two look to develop the first all-in-one cryptocurrency banking platform, which includes a 17-digital asset exchange, a digital bank, and a payments application with social features similar to Venmo. Founded in September, 
Metal Pay has processed approximately 11 million in total payments from nearly 130,000 registered users across 38 states. On a monthly basis, the company processes 1 million in crypto or fiat for around 30,000 active users, according to Hayner. Finman staked a modest amount of Bitcoin to finance the development of the banking and exchange ecosystem, he said, which currently holds approximately $2 million in crypto and fiat on the platform. Though Finman is willing to put in his entire 400-something Bitcoin fortune to fund Metal Pay's growth, the 20-year-old told Coindesk, quote, and here it comes, we're looking to beat Bitcoin, Finman said. Uh, <laughs> Quote, I've been a bit back and forth in the past, crypto is dead, resurrect Bitcoin kind of thing, but have found in recent months, especially that the Bitcoin community is super fragmented. Yeah, we're all fragmented. And the actual usability for Bitcoin is minimal, Finman said. The project is an attempt to move beyond the silo developments within the crypto, crypto industry and become a usable financial tool, he said. Hayner agrees and, and said crypto has grown to mirror the existing financial industry rather than the open source community where he found his footing in the days when you could still mine BTC on a MacBook. Before Metal's founding in 2016, Hayner helped build Stellar, Dogecoin, and Block.io. The company previously received $3 million in funding from G2 Ventures, Getaway, and Shapeshift CEO Eric Voorhees. The two took a crypto-agnostic approach when building the system and have worked actively with regulators, of course. Metal Pay is partnered with Arkansas-based Evolve Bank and Trust to provide FDIC-insured deposit accounts. As the platform develops, Evolve will help Metal Pay introduce a number of financial products associated with conventional banking services. In 2018, Hayner also developed a proof of processed payment as a means of distributing MTL tokens native to the platform. The proof reaches consensus and validates transactions conducted on MetalPay. Instead of a mining re reward, however, the counterparties receive up to 5% of the transaction volume in MTL, which for consumers is construed as cash back, said Hayner. Mm. These rewards, called POP, can be converted into fiat, sent to another metal pay user, or held as an investment. MTL holders are rewarded in additional ways. For instance, those that hold over 10,000 MTL on an average spot price between Binance, Kraken, and Bit Bitrix will not be charged fees. Further, Hayner said the company intends to offer free trading on MTL-specific pairs and fee-less options for merchants following the introduction of Metal Merchant. Metal Pay looks to gain market validation in a crowded field of payment apps like Venmo and Cash App. Hayner recognizes the difficulty in attracting non-crypto users and is working to build an application that passes industry muster first. He said, quote, Bitcoin is flawed. It's flawed, y'all. It's flawed. But only in the way the Ford Model T was flawed. The concept of a car will live on and constantly be improved upon. Hopefully it builds upon the existing model and there is always room for Ford, Toyota, Mazda, BMW, Tesla even, end quote. And that's the end of the article. So, man, this is some cringe-worthy shit coinery right here. This is just cringe all the way around. Don't, to stop with, with the Ford Model T, because it wasn't about the fucking Ford Model T. It was about how to construct a massive amount of cars 
And that same assembly line that Ford built, well, I'm not sure he, he invented it. He probably borrowed you know, the idea from other people. It made everything easier to build cars. And for the first time in the world, not only could the Ford Model T be built in mass, but all the other Fords that came out of Ford don't use the car argument. And when you hear somebody use the car argument, just grab them by the tie, pull their face to you and just slap the shit out of them a few times. All right. So, okay. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Vitalis. Bitcoin is at a price of $10,662. It looks like the low or the high is going to be over at, oh, where is it? Where is it? It's going to be at Coinbase Pro at 10678 The low looks like it's going to be over at HitBTC at 10652 So pretty tight trading range there. 281,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours, with 11,700 being made per hour on average. 869 BTC have been sent over that last 24 hours with an average per hour sent of 36,200. Average transaction value is 3 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.016 BTC or right around 175 bucks. Block time is nominal at 10 minutes and 4 seconds. Uh, 0.24 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 34 BTC have been taken overall in fees over the last 24 hours. The hash rate has uh, increased by 6.7% over the last 24 hours, giving us 70.65 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 200, Bcash is at 321, Litecoin is at 76, BSV is at 142, Ethereum Classic is at 5.5, Dogecoin is at 0.0028. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible? Well, Doge is really kicking the shit out of Litecoin, I'll tell you that. Doge has 26,000 transactions, Litecoin only has 20,000 and Litecoin, I don't know, man, there's something, there's something spooky. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know. It may, maybe it sh- I shouldn't use the word spooky, but there's a lot of chatter about Litecoin and, and, and a lot of it ain't good. So I'll just say that. Um, mempool, mempool, mempool. Yeah. It looks like we have, we're five block going to be five blocks deep into the mempool with 9,200 transactions that are unconfirmed as of yet. All the blocks that I'm looking at are over a megabyte. So there is your vital statistics. All right. So uh, for today's song, uh, we're going to do some uh, STP, Stone Temple Pilots, for some people that don't know any better. The the grunge scene of the 90s. It's a great scene, but kind of gone. It's too bad. It's been replaced by pop and ridiculous pop country is now a thing, whatever. But in either event, I'll get it. we're going to go to the Wayback Machine and go back to, go back to the 90s. And uh, this song I selected because for all the shit coiners are, that are out there that are about to be royally screwed, you're probably going to need some Vaseline. 
right, before we leave the song of the 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 song segment here, I want to uh, I, I need to to give a shout out to my buddy Coin Laughs, C O I N L A F F S. Uh, he schooled me on some punk rock history, man, and um, I'd said I we had played the, um, the Sex Pistols last time uh, for the Friday song. And I had said something that it sounded, you know, that it reminded me of the Ramones, and um, Coin Laughs schooled me on on why that is. And I'm, I kind of want to read you this because if you are interested in punk rock, I I think you're going to be interested in this. He says the Ramones just wanted to be a pop band, obsessed with the Bay City Rollers and Spectre girl pop, with a dose of the Dolls and Stooges. They invented something else—a music that was so brutal and primitive that on first hearing it, it was a culture shock. People often ask who was the first punk band, and there are plenty of examples. The Stooges could have been a good call, but the Ramones created the template that is still copied by every garage band in the world to this day. The stripped-down bar chords, the simple driving bass and goofy vocals, it's so much part of punk's DNA that no one even notices it anymore. The one, two, three, four count ends, the drain pipe jeans, the Lewis leathers, the sick sense of humor, the smart playing dumb attitude, the fast guitar assault, the leaping around on the stage, the energy and the chainsaw talking uh, and the chainsaw taking to uh, pop culture approach were all invented by the Ramones. The first album came out in 1976. They were way ahead of the game and their gig at the London Roundhouse in 1976 was a game changer with every punk band in London uh, turning up and speeding up their music. Before the Ramones, there was nothing like the Ramones. After them, there was punk rock and style that is copied even a style that is copied even more today than it was 35 years ago. They may not have had the cultural cachet of the Sex Pistols, but they changed everything without even meaning to. And I think that that's a, I wanted to read that to you because that's a very well-written sentiment about the Ramones. So if, if you like punk rock, man, and you, and you like the Ramones, I, I, I hope you enjoyed that segment. All right, let's uh, get into this. Oh, the daily train wreck is kind of sad. Uh, so don't, but you know, don't shed too many tears because it's not like we weren't trying to warn people since 2016. And for the other OGs that are way older than I am, because I didn't know, I didn't know Dick in 2015 when I got in. So I was a shit coiner too, man. It happens, you know. But I quickly got out in 2016 and started raising the alarm, saying, "No, this you don't need any of this shit. This is all crap." And then watching the ICO storm in 2017 was just kind of heartbreaking, man, because it's we we had been chomping, you know, chomping at the bit to get noobs to not do this, to not buy these ICOs. Well, Mrs. T. Henry has a story. Let's get into it. She's writing on Twitter, and this was August the 10th. So this is like I, I just caught it this morning. I have sold all my coins for $38,000, a loss of $242,000. I have paid dearly for my stupidity. I do hope that everyone who is still waiting for a miracle is rewarded in the end. My prayers to you all. And then a whole host of shit coin tags, except for the BTC tag. That's not a shit coin. That's the only thing that actually matters. But apparently Miss Henry was in, 
deeply invested into the altcoin and shitcoin market and has lost a quarter of a million dollars because of it. Now let that sink in. Every time somebody tells you that Bitcoin maximalists are mean, it's like, no, we're not mean. And I can't even really include myself as a maximalist because I, I'm too lazy to sell my little bag of Litecoin. So I can't really even include myself in that group. But I am just as vocal as the Bitcoin maximalist. I will say that because nothing, none of these coins, you don't have to have any of this stuff. Just buy Bitcoin. That's it. That's the only one that really actually matters. All the rest of this is just a casino. And you're going to get hurt. It's going to hurt and it's going to hurt really, really bad. Now, I'm not playing the sound effect of the train today out of sympathy at least for poor Mrs. Henry. Um, so that's why it's not in there because I just, I don't like, I don't like reading these things. I don't, that's one of the reasons why I will, I will never, never go to RBTC or our Bitcoin on Reddit ever again, you know, because I hear, especially during, you know, any kind of bear market, because I suicide hotline numbers are always listed. People are always they're now, you know, talking about how they're homeless. Now, can you verify any of this? Not really, but I can't imagine this not happening. I mean, if, if Miss Henry's taking her time to lie to us all, then, you know, she's a really terrible troll and it's not going to get much traction out of this. I don't think she's lying. And I don't think all those people that I used to read on BTC and our Bitcoin, I don't think they were lying either. I think they lost their ass and nobody's learning their fucking lesson. Do not buy Ether, do not buy Litecoin, do not buy Doge, even though I, I love my bag of Doge, but it's because it's purely sentimental. That's the only reason that I will never sell the Doge. It's not because I find it valuable. It's not because I think it's gonna, there's going to be an altcoin season. Yeah. No, it's because it reminds me of the time that I first got into this. And so, so does my Bitcoin because I, I still have much of my Bitcoin. But the Doge is never going to go away. I'm literally too lazy to go sell my freaking four Ethereum classics. I'm too lazy to get into my, my, uh, uh, into my, into like the Kraken exchange and transfer my Litecoin from a hardware wallet over there to dump it. I'm, I literally don't give a shit. I just don't because all of this is just, I would literally, I would be selling to a noob is probably what I'd be doing. And I just, I can't. I just, I just can't. It's not right. There's nothing about the altcoin market and shit coinery. Nothing is right because shit like this happens. People lose quarter of a million dollars of their savings. That's what happens. I mean, if you're a master trader and you know how to do this kind of stuff, you know, reconsider because you're dumping on noobs and it's, you're not helping. And I, I know that some of you guys that listen to me are, are you know, will, will do altcoins and stuff. And was, I'm just saying, please take a moment and I see if you can identify where your coins go after you sell them. Who bought the bags and when did they buy them? Just at least have that consideration for, you know, pour one out for the homies, guys. Come on, man. I mean, we're all in, we're, we need to all be in this together. We've got... China's freaking out. Hong Kong's freaking out. Trade wars freaking out. Negative yield cur curves are freaking everybody out. Argentin 
Argentine peso drops 30%. Well, you know, it's like every, there's just dumpster fires everywhere. Please be considerate to those people on whom you would dump. Okay. So, uh, that's going to do it for the daily train wreck. All right, man. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by OHEN39 at O-E-H-E-N-3-9. Also, Yabcat. Now, he didn't send this directly to me. I just saw it, saw it, it came down in, into my feed, and it's it's too good not to have it as a terrible joke. So here, let's let's spin it up. The doctor. You have a disease that causes memory loss. Me. Is it contagious? The doctor is what contagious? Boy, that's a right fine, terrible joke right there, man. That is right fine. Beautiful. Beautiful execution. It adheres to that really fast, you know, get just get it out there, man. Just no like you know, like stop with the context. Just like strip it down to the bare minimum. And you do things like that, and you end up with a beautiful, handcrafted, Sherpa-loved, terrible joke. All right, so that wraps up, God, episode 128. Wow. Jeez. It's just kind of, you know, stunning. I one, you know, I knew I was going to I, – I, I wanted to do a podcast. I had been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, and while I was still working over in, at down in Lubbock – on the hour and a half drive that I had, I would look at my phone and, and a little voice would be like, well, what did, why don't you pick it up and use your earbuds with a microphone and record a, an episode? And I didn't for like a month and a half. I don't know why I just didn't. And then one day I looked at the phone and then cranked up, you know, episode zero and 128 episodes in and wow. You know, I mean, it's, this has been a really cool thing to do. I've been really enjoying this. I have been really enjoying people re- that are starting to reach out to me. Uh, Pirate Beach Bums asking me to do one of his diary things, which is really cool, man. I mean, the questions are really are really interesting. And yeah, he's got like a ton more followers than I've got. And he's reaching out to me to ask me questions and be part of, you know, the things that he does. And, you know, that, I, you know, and if I, being asked to be on Adam Meister's show twice. Yeah. And, and then, uh, Ansel Linder always says really, you know, really nice things to me. Like on the, on the discord chat says, you know, he's that I'm putting out a quality show. And I, I really appreciate that feedback. That makes me feel good because these people are the people that kind of, you know, shepherd me, shepherded me around the space when I was a noob. Okay. So again, we were, I was saying it earlier, we're all noobs at one point or another, and it doesn't matter what tech or field you're going into. You're always going to start out as a noob and you need good people to not lie to your face. And all of these people are the people who are like, no, dude, you've got to stay away from this, this garbage fire that is the shit coinery. And I listen to them. And because I listen to them, I'm not losing a quarter million dollars of investment. Because I, when I sold my stack of Ether, when I had figured out that that was just a nothing, 
I sold at 400 bucks and traded it direct for Bitcoin. And I did, I, I think that was the only one aside from Litecoin. I had Litecoin, Dogecoin. And because I had like some Ethereum before the fork, I ended up with some, some Ethereum classic. The only thing that I actually ever sold was just my, my stash of ether at 400 bucks. And I'm glad I did, but I did that like two years ago, man. Whenever I think it was, I think it was two summers ago, not last summer, but the summer before, um, maybe somewhere around in, in either event, if it hadn't have been for me listening to the right people, the, the people that were like, dude, this, you don't need to be doing this. Like, like the one vortex and mad bitcoins and pirate beach bum and Ansel Linder. And, you know, and, and now as I've, you know, feel more comfortable in the space now, like I, I like Marty's, you know, Marty Bent stuff and, oh, and, and a uh, trace mayor, Trace Mayer was the first podcast I started listening to, or one of the very first ones. It was, I know it was actually the first one, but I was listening, I think I was listening to like two other ones at the same time, but Trace's podcast, uh, Bitcoin, I think it was like the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, was absolutely critical, absolutely critical for me to get my head at least pointed in some semblance of the correct direction. And I kind of straight off the path with Ethereum, but you know, I've been back for ever since I sold that smoldering pile bag. Um, but people like that, that the Ethereum crowd are calling Bitcoin maximalists saved my ass. So thank you, toxic Bitcoin maximalists for making sure that I wasn't stupid and investing in long-term and stuff like Ethereum and Arda or Ada or Adam coin and or what Eve coin and whatever other flavor of shit coin comes out under the sun. Thank you personally from me to you. Thank you for saving my ass. Now, anybody who's new that's listening to me, go out and save somebody else's ass before they end up like poor Mrs. T or whatever her name was that lost a quarter of a million dollars in investment, please. And rethink what toxic maximalist actually means because I actually think it means more of about a guardian rather than somebody who's just trying to piss you off because that's not what they're doing. They're trying to help you. They're not trying to rob you with that. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.